Thank you. All right, so uh, welcome everyone. And uh, Pastor Cameron is on his way back from vacation, I believe. He might be back, but he's not with us this morning. He's continuing his vacation over first service. So here we are. Um, the last month we have spent looking at the greatest commandment. And uh, we started off the year intentionally looking at what it means to live by um, the greatest commandment. And after a few weeks, we all know that that greatest commandment, you can take it from one of two places in Scripture where it's mentioned. There's a passage in Matthew and a passage in Mark. And uh, if we look at it, it says that you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Let's Let's run it through. Let's go a few more slides. See if you guys remember all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. Okay, let's do that again. A little refresher. Doesn't hurt. Heart, soul, mind, strength. All right, and so we looked at what, what it means to love God with your mind, with your soul, with your strength, and, and basically what it means to love God with, with all of who you are. And, and Pastor Cameron finished by looking at how we take all of who we are, everything that we do, everything that we are, and we, we um, orient that towards God. Everything is lived in the reality of we are in God. We are found with God because of our relationship with Christ. Well, this month... We want to take um, kind of the basis of what we've looked at the last, the last month with the greatest commandment, and we want to look at the Great Commission. So this month we're going to look at the Great Commission, and what we've looked at the last month with the greatest commandment is really more of an inward orientation. It's, um, it's really looking at how do you, as a Christian, really orient your life? How do you take everything that you know about God and and your life and how do you live that as an inward kind of reality, as an inward drive, as an inward focus? How do you orient everything in your life? And the greatest commandment is really taking everything that you are and trying to orient that towards God and towards loving God. With the great commission, we're taking that inward focus and then we're turning it and we're making it an outward focus, and we're saying, okay, if we get everything right in terms of living for God and loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, our soul, and our strength, if that's the type of person we are, then there's this other element which is kind of captured in the Great Commission that's outward focused, that's looking to orient towards others and orient towards the world at large. And so that's what we're going to look at um, this month because we don't want to just be Christians or be a church that are only inward focused, but we do want to be a church and we want to be individual Christians who are outward focused as well because when you read scripture, you see that both are very present and both make a very strong claim on our lives. And so it's not enough to just say, me and Jesus are okay and forget everyone else. You can't say that for lots of different reasons. But one reason is we've been commanded by Jesus himself to go into the world and to share who he is with everyone that we meet. So that's really what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. So today is kind of the introduction to all of this, to thinking about the Great Commission. And 
the Great Commission is uh, is taken from that label is taken from the last words that Jesus spoke to his followers to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, and so we will look at that very briefly what those words are. But really, that's what the next few weeks are going to be about to finish out this series is looking very specifically at that Great Commission and the words and the language of that Great Commission. And so today, what we're going to do instead is see how the Great Commission itself fits into the whole of Scripture. So we're going to look and see how does it fit into the picture of what God has done throughout the whole Bible. And then we'll also kind of just at the, at the end, we'll finish up today by just looking at what is God doing around the world? How is the Great Commission being fulfilled today in our day and in our time? Because I think it's important as we think about the Great Commission and, and being outward focused in terms of our faith and sharing our faith, that we realize that we're not alone and that we realize that the gospel is advancing around the world and um, just so that that's an encouragement to you because sometimes it can feel like a discouraging thing to try to share um, Christ with the people that we know. So let's just pause and let's just pray and let's just ask God to come and to help us really receive this morning what he's saying to do with the Great Commission. So join with me in prayer. Father God, we want to hear from you this morning. We just submit ourselves to your word, to hearing your word this morning. And we ask, God, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, instruct our minds, instruct our hearts, God, in this area of the Great Commission and of hearing what you have to say to each one of us and as a church. God, help us to live out our part in fulfilling this Great Commission that you have given us. God, we're excited to follow you wherever you lead us. In your name we pray. Amen. Towards the very end of Scripture, there's this incredible vision that was given to John the Apostle. And uh, he was on the island of Patmos, and he receives this incredible revelation of Jesus Christ. And the final book of the New Testament is, is that, is, captures that revelation that he received. And it's kind of the final, it's the final words of Scripture to us on many different things. But one of the incredible parts of that vision is found in Revelation chapter 5. And we just want to read a few verses from Revelation 5, starting in verse 8. And we're kind of jumping into the middle of a scene here. The, 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 pic, the background is kind of where it's a vision of heaven. It's a vision of um, being in the presence of God. And there's a seal that needs to be opened. And they're trying to find who is worthy to open this seal. So that's basically the, the picture. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. Take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So that's a pretty incredible vision of 
of the worthiness of, of the Lamb that was slain. And obviously we know that is a picture of Christ. Christ is the Lamb who was slain. And really this is all about the honor that is given to Jesus. But you'll notice in there, in verse 9, it said, uh, You were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so I want you just to imagine that. So just use your imagination for a moment. And I want you to think about that scene. And I know it's going to be tough because we've never seen anything like this. And it's hard to imagine. But I want you to think about what it would look like for people from every nation, every people group, to hear every language, and to see people from every tribe worshipping Jesus. And you might have to engage that part of your brain that's read National Geographic over the years, where you see those pictures of people who have been photographed for the first time, who live in very, very primitive and rural conditions. You might need to, uh, to think about any time you've traveled overseas or you've met someone from overseas who just looks incredibly different than, than how you look. But that's the part of our imagination, and that's the part of our vision that really taps into this idea of the Great Commission. And as we think about um, this vision, it is a vision that is completely triumphant. It's completely triumphant. This vision is what drives us from the future to come into the reality of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so, think about it this way. The Revelation 5 vision that we just read about people from every single tribe and nation and people group and language, that calls to us from the future. It calls us because it has yet to be fulfilled. It calls out to us. It's a future-oriented vision. And so some of us are very optimistic, future-oriented. I want to see things happen in the future. Forget the past. It's all about today. It's all about the future. Is anybody like that here? A few people are like that. Okay. So this part of the sermon is for you. It's very future-oriented. It's very, this has yet to be fulfilled. It's invest your life into this future vision. And for some people, the future vision is what does it. For some people, the future vision is what is enough for them. Think about entrepreneurs. Think about people who can envision the future a different way. People who are visionary, who can imagine and anticipate what the future will be like, and then they create that future. That's what this vision is for. It's inspiring us from a future-oriented reality to come into the work of the Great Commission. Okay, so for some of us, the future is just way too far away. And all we can do is get through a day at a time. And so there's good news for you as well because that's, that's the moment that we live in. The moment we live in is heading towards that future orientation. And Christ has given this great commission to us, to his church, on the earth today to fulfill, to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. But where the great commission fits in, most particularly, is it's something that is part of our church heritage. It's something that's part of our biblical tradition. And as a church that reads and appreciates the word of God as the highest authority in our lives, we see the Great Commission as driving from the past 
and pushing us towards that f- future vision. So if you're somebody who the future orientation, the future Revelation 5 vision just doesn't really engage you, but you really just, when you read scriptures and you see all that has happened in the past and you understand the tradition of where we've come from, then the Great Commission is for you. The Great Commission language is for you. And we're kind of in the middle of those two realities. We're we're beyond, in time and history, we're beyond the Great Commission being given. Jesus has spoken it in a moment of time, and then he ascended to heaven. And we live today in what's called the church age, the age when the church represents Christ on this earth. And we're heading towards that future vision of all nations and all peoples around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb that was slain. So let's look at the Great Commission language itself, just so we get a sense of what we're really talking about here. So let's find uh, the most popular passage for it is Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. So let's read that together. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're not going to really unpack any of this today. We're not going to get into the details of this today. I'm just going to make a couple of very kind of summary comments about it and then we're going to move on and see how this particular piece of scripture fits in to all of scripture. We've already seen Revelation 5 so that's one piece in which those two ways tie together. But the Great Commission was given to Jesus' disciples, his closest followers. Remember there's 11 of them at this stage because Judas is no more at this stage in the, in the biblical story. And What's interesting is we've often thought about going and making disciples in all nations, disciple, individual people being discipled, that means being brought into faith in nations. But when you read it, it actually says disciples of all nations. And this is one of the recent shifts in missions is, is we're realizing, oh, it's not that we just have to make disciples in nations, although that's important, but we also have to make disciples of nations. So what does it look like that a whole nation would be discipled? What does it look like that whole nations and whole communities and whole people groups would be discipled at one time? So I'll just leave that with you. If you have an answer to that, that would be that would be great. But that's one of the things that people are wrestling through right now. What does it look like to make this a community and a nation-oriented endeavor? I don't know if you ever thought about the fact that the 11 disciples are called disciples at some parts of the New Testament, and then suddenly they're called apostles. Has anybody ever thought about that before? Like, when did that happen? Like, why was that shift? It's like, you're a disciple one day, you're an apostle the next day. How does that happen? Well, this is the moment where it happens. Because disciple um, means learner. The word disciple means learner. And so, the 11 learners receive this great commission from Jesus. Go. Go into all the world. And then at that moment, he ascends. And then they become apostles, which means sent ones. And so in this moment, they receive their commission, and it changes everything about their identity. So they'll still continue to learn about Christ. Their learning hasn't finished, but their primary orientation is no longer to be a learner first. 
is to be a sent one first, is to be one who goes. And so what happens in the, in the biblical story after this? They remain in Jerusalem because Christ had promised the Holy Spirit to them. They remain in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. And what is the Holy Spirit designed to do? It's designed to give them everything that they need to go and to be witnesses to Christ. And you see, especially in the book of Acts, how right away, from the moment that the Holy Spirit came, the gospel is preached and it completely transforms the Roman Empire. And within um, a very short space of time, the Roman Empire is completely won for Christ. By the early 300s, so, I mean, we're talking within 300 years of Christ being on earth, the church goes from being completely persecuted to the official state religion of the Roman Empire. Now, some people say that was a, maybe not the best thing that could have happened to the church, but it gives you, at least in some way, a measure of the spread of the gospel and how the gospel, even though there was persecution in those early days when the church was starting, could not be contained. And the strength and the power of the gospel, wherever it went, and so that was how the earliest followers, those disciples who became apostles, the sent ones, that's how they took this great commission and they lived it out. And you can read about that throughout the, the rest of the New Testament, primarily the book of Acts, but then also in, in the life of Paul, the apostle, who was writing letters as he was traveling and doing missionary journeys around um, you know, his, in, his, in his area and going to different places around and really bringing the gospel of Christ. And this endeavor of fulfilling the Great Commission and of bringing the gospel of Christ became known as mission, became known as missions. And we talk about missionary journeys or sending missionaries. And that label is kind of just a broad kind of term that covers anything that really is to do with bringing the gospel and fulfilling this Great Commission. So we can see the Great Commission happened right at the end of Christ being on earth. The Holy Spirit came. We're in the church age and we're oriented towards the Revelation 5 vision. But where did Christ get the idea that he could just turn over this mission, that he could just give this responsibility to share the gospel? Where did that come from? Like, Why would Jesus give that huge responsibility to his followers? Well, there's lots of reasons why he would do it, but one of the main ones is that when Christ came to earth, he actually revealed God, the fullness of God to us, right? He revealed everything about who God is to us in a way that we just that people had never seen before. He was the fullness of God in human flesh. And in that, in that way, in revealing the fullness of God, there were many new things that we saw that we had not seen before. But really what it was is we saw things in a more clear sense that had only been partially revealed before. And so Jesus made things so much more clear than we had ever seen before when you read through the scriptures. And so one thing that you see that God always has done throughout, throughout history that documented in scriptures for us is that God always uses people to reach other people. God always uses people to reach other people. So in the Old Testament, if there was ever an equivalent in terms of importance to this Matthew 28 Great Commission scripture, if there's an Old Testament equivalent, then it's in Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 is one of those scriptures that you should just be familiar with because it's just this hugely defining moment in the Old Testament. It's, it's uh, Genesis 1 to 11, there's definitely continuation 
But those first 11 chapters are so different in many ways than what follows through the rest of the Bible. And Genesis 12 is this incredible um, just moment in the history of scriptures and the history of God working with people where God speaks to an individual and he blesses him with incredible promises. And one of those promises that happens to come to Abram in Genesis 12 is that all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So God speaks to Abraham and says, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And that was just an absolutely amazing statement at the time and still is. All peoples will be blessed through Abram. And the Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3.8, calls this announcement to Abraham. He says, this was the gospel announced in advance. This was the gospel announced in advance. And so that tells you something about the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel message is that it's for all people. It's for all people around the world. It is for all people. And so one of the things you see, some, one of the ways you see this portrayed then in the Old Testament is that God forms the people of Israel, descendants of Abram. And God speaks to that people, Israel, and he has particularly close relationship with Israel. And in some ways, God kind of speaks this promise of blessing to all nations, and then he focuses just on the nation of Israel. And so on the one hand, it seems a little counterproductive that you would say, I want to reach all peoples, and then you just focus on one. But what God was doing is very carefully working with Israel in order to get them to be his people, to follow him with their whole hearts, just like we talked about last month with the the great commandment to follow God with the whole with your whole heart. And God was trying to get this nation of Israel to follow him with their whole hearts. And they didn't do a very good job. But the goal was that Israel would be a light to all nations. And so you see that theme throughout the whole Old Testament is God using his people Israel to be a light to all of the other nations. And they use that imagery on purpose because they, they use the imagery of all nations being in darkness all nations being in darkness and Israel is the light to that darkness to illuminate that darkness and to show the way to God and Christ also used that language about being a light being a light to the world you see that reflected then in the New Testament but Genesis 12 and speaking to Abram about being a blessing to all nations that wasn't the first idea that we get a sense of God wanting to reach the whole earth to get that idea you really need to go back to the original creation story because at the very end of where God has created everything he creates humanity and then he says be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the whole earth and so even from God's original before sin ever entered the world before anything of the fall and any corruption came in God's intention was that humanity and God would partner together to reach the whole world that was always God's intention. And so when Jesus stands and gives this great commission to his disciples, Jesus was following in the whole tradition of how God had spoken with the people of Israel. He was following, following in every step of the way. And it's no different for us today. God wants today to use his people. And today his people is the church. In the Old Testament it was Israel. Today it's the church. And God wants to use his people to reach the whole earth. And so I just want to finish today and just kind of talk briefly about some of the ways that that's happening and some of the ways in which, in our time in history, this Great Commission is being fulfilled. 
Um, I love this quote. Basically, we're not talking about the fact that God created the church and then thought, oh, the church needs something to do. I just can't have all these people sitting around and all they do is meet once a week on a Sunday. It's, I need something for them to do to keep them occupied. So some of you may think that, but that wasn't the order in which, in which God created everything. Basically, God has always had this mission to reach the, the world and to reach everyone on earth with the message of who he is. God has always had that in his heart. And he has created a people to reach that goal. And so the quote is, Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, for God's mission. So we were made as a church. We were formed together as a church to fulfill this mission of God. And so as we, as we stand here today, we know that that mission is not yet complete. That there are still millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people even around the world who have never heard the name of Jesus, that have never heard the gospel message. And so whether you need to hear the push from, from history and tradition and scripture in, the, in what's already passed that says, this is the command, go, this is the commission, go and reach the whole world, disciple them, or whether you're oriented by that future Revelation 5 vision, or whether it's a combination of both, the, the point of today is we are at a time where it is yet to be fulfilled. We are at a time that's yet to be fulfilled. And yet I want to encourage you that as part of the global church, as part of the church around the world today, it is on its way to being fulfilled. And we can play our part in that. So within the last 100 years, the kind of face of the church or what the church typically looks like around the world has changed dramatically. If we were alive 100 years ago, um, the life would obviously be a lot different, but one way it would be different is that there would be the church in general. If you were to look at the world as, as a whole and just pick an average church, it would look very, very different. In fact, in some ways, we would be the representative typical church in the world. And why I say that is we're predominantly a white church. We're in North America, and we have the idea that missions is going to somewhere like Africa and bringing the gospel. And that was true 100 years ago, but today it just is not the reality anymore, and that's a good thing because it means that the gospel is being taken around the world. So let me just give you a couple of statistics. Um... A hundred years ago, most of the church was in Europe and North America, but today, over two-thirds of Christians in the world live outside of North America and Europe. So we're actually, even if you combined all Christians in Europe and North America, we are by, by far in the minority of Christians around the world. So now mission, missions um, experts actually talk about the majority world church, or the global south, and they talk about that as the major hub of Christianity today. Uh, on average, there were 178,000 people converted to Christianity every day. In 1900, there were around 50,000 believers in Latin America. By 1980, it was more than 20 million. And today, it's almost 500 million. In China, there were over 28,000 conversions every day and nearly 100 million Christians. In 1900, South Korea was considered impossible to reach with the gospel, but today it is more than 40% Christian. None of the world's 50 largest churches are located in North America. And 
Christianity is, continues to be the fastest growing religion in the world. If you were to take, if you were somehow able to gather all of the Christians in the entire world today, and then just pull one person out to be representative, to be the average Christian around the world, you might be surprised as what, to what that average Christian would look like. The reality is they would not look anything like me. I would be by far in the minority. And why that is, is because the average Christian today would be a person of color. They would be young. I guess I can kind of claim that one, I guess. They would be socially conservative, Pentecostal, female, and economically in poverty. So if you were to pull the average Christian in the world today, it would be a young woman who's economically in poverty, socially conservative, Pentecostal, and a person of color. And that's exciting, right? That's exciting that it's changed. The average pastor is a young male who's a new believer, has no formal training at all, and is most likely a charismatic or Pentecostal church leader. The average church is economically in poverty, very, very engaged in the spirit world, both in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit, but then also just very aware of spirits in general. A lot of cultures that still very engaged with the spirit world in general. They typically are persecuted. They're not equipped to the same way that we would be in the West in terms of resources. When they open their Bible, it reads like their everyday life because they're persecuted. There's a lot more miraculous signs and wonders and things like that happening. Uh, Prayer is absolutely central to everything they do. They are growing like crazy. Their church is just growing like crazy. And this is probably the most exciting part for what we're talking about today with the Great Commission, is today world missions looks like missionaries from everywhere going everywhere. Missionaries from everywhere going everywhere. So today, if you're part of a missions organization, it's very common for there to be Americans, Europeans, Africans, Asians, South Americans, Latin Americans. I mean, you have people from all over the world all trying to work together. And that's just so incredible. Uh, Parts of Europe now, um, churches in Korea, for example, are very missions-focused, and they want to win back Europe for Jesus. So talk about a complete paradigm shift. Talk about a total reversal from 100 years ago when the mindset was that we went from the West and we, uh, we helped people come to know Jesus. And so we still, have that, we still have that given to us as a mandate. You know, the Great Commission has not changed. But just recognize that we're part of something that is just a changing reality around the world. The church is growing rapidly, and we are part of that reality. So what have we done the last while, or where are we at as a church? Well, you know, if you've been around the last few years, you'll know that we've started to do some mission trips, do some short-term teams. We've went to places like Morocco, Brazil, and Japan, especially the relationship we've built with the church in Japan. And that's just our small part in trying to fulfill this great commission. You know, that's what drives us to do things like that. But we've also had individuals from this church go to many places in the world as well, and individual mission pursuits. And so we've gone to those different nations. But, you know, in the last year, we've also gone places more locally. You know, as individuals in this church, we live in this community. We work in this community. And this community is, you know, it's our home. And so 
because this community is part of the earth, is, because, is part of what God has created, it falls underneath this mandate of the Great Commission. And so don't think that you have to travel overseas to necessarily be part of this Great Commission. The Great Commission is really an orientation in your life to reach out to others with the gospel of Christ. And so as, as we think about what the Great Commission means for us over the next few weeks, I want you to see that it's, it's part of the biblical tradition. It's part of the biblical story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a mandate that we've been given as individual Christians and as a church to reach out wherever we go with the gospel, but also to be encouraged that incredible things are happening around the world in the area of missions and spreading the gospel of Christ and that you can be a part of that, that through this church and through your everyday life, that you can be part of that and you can be part of seeing the vision, that Revelation 5 vision of every tribe, tongue, language, nation worshipping the lamb that was slain. So let's pray together as we close. Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that you have called us to be a people who tell others about who you are. That no matter where we go in this world, God, that you have given us the opportunity to share who you are. Jesus, we just rejoice with the church around the world that your gospel is being proclaimed and that you are um, saving people that you are transforming lives around the world. We just pray, God, and we long for the completion of that vision from Revelation 5, where one day people from right across the earth, from every corner of the globe, will worship you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us as a church and help us individually to know where we fit into that, God, and how we can help to fulfill this great commission. God, speak to us, I pray, in these next few weeks. Help us to see how we can serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Merrily has some announcements.